Listener Production. Sarah Davidson describes herself as a funtrepreneur, an over-enthusiastic life lover who is interested in too many things. So you can understand why I just had to meet her. Sarah was adopted as a baby from South Korea and she grew up in Australia. She was a super high achieving student who started her professional life as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer. But then Sarah got sick. After pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing to be the best and the brightest and the hardest worker her whole life, Sarah's body simply said stop. And one of the things that helped Sarah during that dark and difficult time eventually became the business opportunity, which would change the direction of her life. My name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Up next, Bron joins me for The Weekend List, where we recommend what to watch, see, do, eat and listen to. But first, here is my conversation with Sarah Davidson, also known as Spoonful of Sarah. Sarah Davidson, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. It is so nice to have you. Jamila, it is so nice to be here and so lovely to see you. It's been so long. It has. And taking a a peek behind the curtain, everyone listening, Sarah and I have rescheduled this approximately 10,000 times uh, in the last six months. But we are here. We are doing it. Both of us are, if not well, well enough to be chatting today. I mean, well enough is the new standard, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, is it the new standard? And because that's where I wanted to start, right? Because a lot of people would follow you through your book, your podcast, your Instagram following now, but I'm not sure how many people would know about your background in business and how that came about through like some questions of wellness, right? Can you take me on that Oh, I'm about to say journey. Can you take me on that journey? (laughs) Do I have to do a shot every time you say journey? Because that would be a really fun podcast. (laughs) So journey is the perfect word. Uh, I've tried to replace it with other words to describe it, but really Mm. there's nothing else. It's just so perfect, so apt. Because uh, the sort of whole transition from one life to possibly the furthest, you know, away life, like the most different possible lifestyle that you could you could jump to. It was all an accident for me. I started off as a lawyer, a very traditional career path. And I mean, even that was sort of more a process of elimination. I was definitely that kid who tried a bit of everything, sport, music, drama, even my subject choices was always one of everything, a language of science. Like I, I like to always keep more doors open than closed. And law was just, well, I don't like blood. And I ended up with a, a good enough score to do something that will open more doors rather than close them. So there are a lot of lawyers out there who really found the career not necessarily suited to them. But for me, it was a very happy accident. So going back to the very beginning, uh, I guess I had started at an amazing law firm, incredibly lucky um, to have started at King and Wood Mallisons. And actually at the time was really getting a lot of gratification out of how prestigious it was, how successful and busy I was. I was so busy and I was climbing this ladder. And so getting a lot of gratification out of that. But I also was running a million miles an hour, working 20 hour days, working weekends and, and not I had a very, very uh, superficial understanding of wellness. I would eat a broccoli, I'd go to spin at 5am and then I'd think like, tick, I've ticked the boxes. I was very lucky to be able to go to Rwanda in my first year of law. My husband uh, is a serial entrepreneur. He's the opposite of my earlier days. And uh, he'd sponsored a campaign that sponsored a school in Rwanda. So we got to go on a sponsor's trip and two things happened there. 
The first was I expected to go, uh, I'm actually adopted, so I think you know this, so I was born in an orphanage in South Korea and have always been acutely aware of how different things could have been for me. So I'm, you know, fascinated by sliding doors moments. And I thought that mm. my first reaction going to somewhere like Rwanda would be, oh my gosh, I've grown up in the luckiest country in the world and look what we have, look at all the opportunities and technology and things that we have that that these people don't. Which is, of course, one one level of it was gratitude. But the main takeaway was I saw happiness that wasn't attached to success. It wasn't attached to all the things that I was used to seeing it attached to. And yet children would play with a leaf for 12 hours. Adults would break into song when they saw each other and they were finding happiness outside of financial metrics, outside of social media and goals and, you know, boss babe and all those kinds of concepts that were what was going on back home. So that was one big seed that was planted. And then the second thing I brought home was a very nasty gut parasite, which given that I had a pretty compromised immune system going over just from lack of sleep and burning myself into the ground, it wasn't acute. I wasn't, didn't have, you know, giardia symptoms or any bad food poisoning or vomiting or anything. It was a slower burn. So I contracted it over there, came home, went straight back to work, didn't notice that my digestion was suddenly completely unable to tolerate certain foods. And because of that, I just stopped eating those foods and I wasn't paying attention to sort of getting nutrients and stuff. So I ended up losing 15 kilos off an already 12-year-old boy, small body. (laughs) And it took, you know, me collapsing three months later at work for me to realise that I'd just gone well beyond the signs that my body so cleverly was giving me and I was so wonderfully um, ignoring. And that was the beginning of learning, A, I have limits, still pretty upset and surprised about that, rude. B, you have to respect those or you can't get much done in life and, you know, we all have a pace that suits us and, and you've got to really kind of learn to stick within that. But also I got banned from coffee and needed a an alternative source of caffeination, which was the discovery of matcha powder, which was then the first business. Okay, I have so many questions. I have so many questions about uh, the business you started and I have so many questions about health stuff. But if I can rewind for a moment, what you sort of spelled out was a culture I think I really bought into as well, right? That kind of like late noughties, even sort of early 2010s culture of the girl boss and the hustle culture and the go, 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 go and you know, I would have called it like a graduation from the Spice Girls <laughs> kind of year six, seven kids who bought into that mantra, right? That it was like, you know, girl power and you can do it all without recognising that actually just working and working and working and working till you drop is not enough in a gendered society. Do you think we've moved on from that? Like you clearly have, Ooh. but do you think more generally we've moved on from that concept? That is an amazing question. I love it. This is why I love your brain so much. Every time I chat to you, it just makes my brain start to explode in all directions. Amazing question. I think it was definitely a sort of subliminally gendered issue that I didn't realise until looking back now that, you know, I'd been warned I was going into a, you know, very male-dominated environment and that women had had to fight so hard to get here and we were still in the minority and rah, 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 and, and then there is this new kind of collegiate female, like, girl power movement. So then you also get really swept up in that. So if other female partners are working late and you kind of want to emulate that and they're your role models and definitely got swept up in that and I definitely think there's a big gendered layer to that as well as a very A-type hustle culture, non-gendered layer. 
I think since I was there, it's come a long way institutionally. I think there's a lot more respect for wellbeing, burnout, um, a lot more recognition for people's mental limits, not just their physical limits. Like if you would physically crash and get adrenal fatigue or glandular fever, people could recognise it. Now, if you're really struggling with your mental health, I think people are making more space for those conversations in the workplace. But I think maybe it's been replaced or has evolved into, well, you can stop working for the man, you can run your own hours. You know, women are taking the power back and becoming, you know, building their own lifestyles around motherhood and flexibility. But then you're also kind of doing both because then you're being the your own boss and running your own show, but you're also still at home. I mean, I'm speaking from not being a mother yet, but just what I am observing. And as I am looking forward to that next chapter of my life, I feel like women are then taking it all on in a different way. So if you've kind of walked away from it in one context, now you're facing it in a different forum at home trying to, yeah, balance motherhood and like now the mum guilt for business owners who are able to be home with their children but are on their phones all the time in front of them or who are travelling for work and then in COVID like trying to teach them while you're running your own business from home, you know, all that kind of thing. It's, I think it's still, it's, it's come a long way but it's still also there and it evolves as our working styles evolve. But if you are this young serial achiever, do everything, super enthusiastic, I love every subject at school, I ace everything, I go to law school, I'm killing it as a lawyer, illness slows you down and you learned that the hard way by pushing and pushing and pushing until it just stopped you. But recovery can be quite a shock for someone who is used to going super fast. So before we get to the business that was born out of you being unwell, Talk to me about that period immediately after when you're no longer acutely unwell, you're not in hospital and you're not in danger, Mm. but you're kind of accepting that maybe life can't be the way it was? Yeah, I think this is where I really look up to the way that you articulate this idea of having a pace kind of forced on you by your body that is not the pace that your brain wants to go at. And I think we've bonded over this same experience quite a few times in conversations where that first time that you do realise there's a limit and that your brain can surpass it but your body can't is really confronting. It's annoying, it's frustrating, it's yeah. you're in denial for a lot of it, which is why it takes so long to actually respect that limit. Like that's how we continue this burnout cycle even though we know that we're pushing the boundaries. And it took me a really long time to kind of peel back the layers of my identity as this productive person and learn that you know, my output Mm. is part of my value and part of my identity and part of my life and what's important to me, but it can't be the only thing because if I'm bedridden for six months, that doesn't stop me being a human being who like has a purpose on this earth. And I would say that it, so I first got really, really sick. That first time was 2013 to 2014. Interestingly, I moved then into business and had more flexibility over my time, but somehow even with all the choice in the world to look after myself and no one else imposing any kind of workload on me. I burnt out again really badly in 2016 and it's 2022 and I'm burnt out right now. So I still (laughs) like, so I would say it's still an ongoing process. It still challenges me that I hit a wall when I feel like I I want to keep going. I haven't done enough. And it's a strange problem to, you know, sometimes people talk about, what do you do when you run out of motivation? And it's like, well, actually, what do I do when I still have motivation, but I run out of body to do it with? And it's, it's really difficult. And I think I know that I don't make the best decisions in the moment. I get 
tricked by adrenaline. I am very, very able to ignore the signs that my body gives me. So I've had to mm. preempt that I'm going to make a bad decision and kind of stop myself by blocking out things in my calendar that say rest regardless of if I think I need it and then just giving myself no choice but to take it. And if I have to move it, I move it, but I can't delete it. You know, it's like an addiction almost where you have to preempt bad decisions and then stop yourself from doing it because otherwise, you know, what is the point of going 110% at things you're passionate about if you burn yourself out so much that you go to zero for months and months and months and can't do anything, you'd rather have gone at 75% and lasted the distance. And that's yeah. a very hard yeah. juggle in my mind still. So on top of this tragedy of the fact that your body can't keep up with your very fast-paced brain and enthusiasm, <laughs> you then get the additional very cruel news that you are not allowed to drink coffee anymore, which is horrible. I'm very sorry for what has happened to you and for your loss. Um, but... Talk about making lemonades with lemons. What happened next? I mean, thank you for calling it a tragedy. I feel seen. I feel validated. (laughs) It is. It is. We are Melbourne people. This is what we live for. Oh, it was hard. And it was coffee and alcohol and gluten and dairy all at once. Like, can you even imagine? I mean, I'm a pretty yay. You know, my brand is very yay and joyful and find the silver linings, but I had very few silver linings left around that time of my life. It was really tough. But again, like it, it's tougher to feel horrible and not be able to do anything. So, you know, it comes to the point where you have to choose. Like I can keep going with those behaviours and, and constantly feel tired and burnt out and not be able to enjoy the benefits or I can, you know, really make a lifestyle change. So in the process of sort of figuring out, I had to take quite a few months off work and then my first uh, job back really was to go to the firm's headquarters in Hong Kong, which I often think that the universe is conspiring in your favour and figuring out how to give you the opportunity, if you're open to it, to be where lightning is going to strike. And in Asia, matcha is everywhere. There's this amazing alternative Mm. to coffee that, you know, in Melbourne, Mm. it hadn't hit yet. If I went to a cafe and ordered a lemon water, like people would just stare at me. But over there, I could have matcha lattes every day and get this you know, beautiful hit of caffeine that was much gentler on the body. So I was there for about a year and I got hooked on on this matcha powder over there. And I think women ascribe too much of their success to luck, but I must say we discovered this miracle powder right at the time where people like the Kardashians were talking about it and drinking it, but no one had right. branded it. It was still like sugar. It was generic. So we came back to Australia. My husband sort of came over a few times and, and he was swapping out one of his coffees a day with matcha and we were just like, it's got more antioxidants than spirulina, but that tastes like foot. Like why is no one drinking it? And people are trying, yes. try, yeah. like actually tastes like foot, but this tastes like green tea. Like why is no one onto it? And purely out of just wanting some for ourselves, which is so cliche, but it's cliche for a reason, we went online, went on Google and found this amazing tea supplier who would ship it to Australia and it was certified organic, it was Japanese, um, but it was affordable. It turned up, it was two million serves, too many for the two of us to actually consume. And so we had this idea, like, let's... Two million. <laughs> like, obviously not going to get through that ourselves. Let's, you know, I was sort of missing the creative, you know, arty farty side of my, oh. what had always been the other side of my personality. And suddenly, you know, in, I did arts law, so I'd always been able to balance both of them. But in a law firm, it was only stoking one side of myself. And I didn't realise that was the least dominant side until... By comparison, once I started 
exploring business and drawing and making logos and copywriting and building community, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm alive again. So we went online and we got, you know, bags off eBay, heat sealers off Alibaba. We printed our labels at Officeworks. It was like breaking bad, but green, just like packing this powder in our jocks because it was hot and we didn't want to get fibers. And we sold out in a week because of that that miracle timing. Wow. And then a couple of months later, got into Urban Outfitters in the States and I had to leave. I had to leave the firm to be able to pack it. And that was seven years ago. You're now someone with a really phenomenal online presence, huge number of followers on social media, which we know isn't everything, but it always says something. It says something about you being interesting and interesting to a lot of people. You've also got a podcast that so many people love and that I am one of them. What does that feel like, having that spotlight on you? You've gone from someone who was in the law to in business to suddenly being someone who every day a person might come across you on their social media feed. Are you comfortable with it? Very interesting question. I'm very comfortable with it now. And I think I'm lucky in that it was very gradual for me. I think at the moment, there's a lot of people who are through particularly reality TV shows at the moment are propelled from nothing to every detail of their lives in the public eye. And that's so jarring and so abrupt and traumatic even. Like it's very difficult, I think, to to do any kind of big change in terms of privacy or lifestyle or whatever. For me, I got to do it by accident, which was one thing that was wonderful because it grew very slowly. I got to do it behind the scenes of the business. So at the beginning, it was a lot less awkward because it was just the business speaking. It was the product speaking. And then I was just kind of the mouthpiece for the product. So I wasn't actually talking about myself. It's about something else. It's not about you. As a woman, and I think, I mean, men obviously experience this as well, but particularly women, we're not very good at kind of speaking about ourselves, particularly not in a positive way. So if I could talk about something else, the product and how it's nothing to, I didn't invent it. You know, it's not about me. That allowed me to get comfortable with speaking to an audience who I didn't know or who I couldn't see for a couple of years before I even started a personal page. And it was only gradually that I realized, and this is actually how the next business and then how the podcast started, that rather than starting to see my my dream life is, you know, this stagnant end destination, I realised it's a jigsaw puzzle and everything you do is either adding new pieces or getting rid of old ones. And Match and Maiden started to take off so much, but I got further and further away from people. I was like in the factory or on my emails and I missed the people contact, which is how the social media yeah. presence became sort of so big. And so I started to have my own page as an outlet to talk about all the stuff that, you know, if if you're having a bad day and you can't fulfil orders because you've got your period, you don't put it on your business page. Like that's super unprofessional and not appropriate. But I wanted to talk about that stuff somewhere else. And so it started as still as a like behind the scenes, I'm still talking about matcha, but I'm not really, but I kind of am. And that I think behind the scenes content that wasn't as common back then as it is now, that started to grow its own momentum. And then as that you know, as that audience grew gradually bit by bit, like it's been seven years of growing it, at each new level there was a new challenge but I could get used to it with time and I could deal with, you know, the the harder parts and then appreciate the benefits that it was opening up bit by bit. It wasn't ever abrupt. It was never felt like being thrown in the deep end and the enormous benefits that came with it 
have always far outweighed the difficulties that allowed us to grow a business across geographical boundaries without having to be there, especially during COVID. We got to keep our livelihood without being able to leave our houses. It has allowed me to meet friends and and expand my brain and, and start a podcast and have conversations with people I never thought I would be able to sit down with. Like the internet is a terribly scary, overwhelming place, but it's also the most exciting time to be alive where we have this amazing platform that transcends class, financial circumstances, labels, titles, places, cultures, race, you know, it's it's so democratised. Influence and ideas and conversations are so democratised and that's so exciting. So yes, it can be scary, but I got to grow into it in a really exciting way. I'm going to use the term influencer in a moment, but I am going to qualify it because I think influencer comes with a whole lot of messy negative connotations these days. I'm using the term purely to say that, talk about people who are on social media, who are doing something in the public eye that means people want to follow them and brands might want to work with them, which are very broad. That's going to capture a whole lot of people. So (laughs) using that definition, you fall into that category of influencer. And I noticed that globally we see a much more culturally diverse group of influential people online. And in Australia we are inching (laughs) towards a bit better but it's still like I would say it's a really white dominated space right Mm. you said earlier in the podcast you know you're a a woman who was born in in South Korea you're a woman of color how do you think about how you fit into that universe it's a question that has taken probably all my life to grapple with particularly because I come at it from this strange unique background where I present as a 100% person of colour. I am genetically 100% Korean, but I didn't grow up there. And my family, who I've been brought up with since I was five months old, are all Caucasian. So I have this like strange lens to kind of see people, especially back in the 90s at, you know, small primary schools treat me very differently, but not feel as different in my mind. And then also not I don't attach so much to the culture that makes me that would make me different. So I Yeah, of course. I think it's been really hard to find my place because it's not obvious. And even as we have inched towards more diversity, even sometimes people will be like, you know, one for the Asian girls, like that's amazing. Sometimes I forget that I'm an Asian girl as well because that's also, I'm like, oh, well, there are parts of the typical Asian girl in Australia upbringing that also I don't identify with either. But I think broadly I think I am very proud to be a woman of colour who does represent and does add visibility for a lot of people like in the media or in the influencer world or in the business world who maybe don't see diverse faces as much and maybe do feel like it might disadvantage them in terms of opportunities or do worry that, you know, they're not being represented or seen across different areas. I think it it's something that makes me very proud. I sometimes feel like I don't deserve to fly that flag because I haven't grown up in a a South Korean household and with South Korean culture. But at the same time, I have received, I have been at the at the other end of some of the disadvantages that come with being a person of colour. So, yeah, I think I've slowly been able to be proud of that uniqueness, find a way to be an activist and speak up and, and represent women of colour without also feeling icky about it because I, I don't sometimes feel like I fit there, but I also don't fit in white Caucasian Australian. But I do think it's really exciting that, there are more and more people. Like when someone else will say to me, 
I feel like, you know, you're one of the only Asian Australian women who I see on TV, who I see on podcasts that were being interviewed. Even if I don't feel like I deserve to be representing that part of society, it makes me really proud that it makes them feel better. It makes me really proud and excited that other people are getting a benefit from it. So yeah, I'm not quite sure how to articulate that right now, but I do think it's a really exciting time and the more diverse faces and bodies and voices and abilities that people can see represented in the media, the better. I think that is a beautifully nuanced and complex answer to a even more complex question. Sarah, thank you so much for being my guest on the weekend briefing. We only scratched the surface, so you're going to have to come back. Oh, any time. I mean, clearly I hate a chat, so any time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for my conversation with Sarah Davidson. You can find Sarah on Instagram at Spoonful of Sarah, and there are underscores between each of the words there. Or you can listen to her podcast, Seize the Yay, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, don't go away. Bron is jumping into the hot seat, and we will be bringing you the weekend list. Bron is here. It is weekend list time and I am hanging out for some new recommendations because it is literally raining everywhere, (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) I need some things I can stay inside and do. Can you help me, Bron? Yes. My first one, this is Below Deck Mediterranean. It's on Hey You. Season seven has just come out. It's about these people that work on these massive super yachts. It's about the crew. It's about how the people that are on board as guests their story. It is just fun, easy to watch entertainment. You can be looking at your phone most of the time and still be able to track what's happening. Yes, but it's entertaining. It's set in Malta at the moment. I was just there not long ago. So I'm like, ooh, that's why I think I'm enjoying it because I'm going, ooh, I, I know those places. It's mindless. You can sit back, relax and not think about a thing. Uh, that sounds really good right now. And I hate to admit that that is how I watch television, but I am massively into that. Um, Bron, a week or so ago, I made a Christmas in July dinner for my colleagues at Future Women. And we had about 16 people coming and a bunch of vegetarians. And I asked around about what you cook for like a hearty Christmas meal for vegetarians. And everyone told me I should cook a nut loaf. Then I asked the vegetarians who all said nut loaf is disgusting. Don't cook that. <laughs> anyway, I have the alternative. So if you have vegetarians at your uh, or you are vegetarian and you've got a Christmas meal coming up or just because you feel like something delicious, I have a recommendation for you. And it is an Ottolenghi recipe. It's Ottolenghi's beetroot, caraway and goat's cheese bread. Yes, it's a bread, uh, but it's so hearty that it absolutely is a meal. It is what it says on the packet. It has a delicious beetrooty taste. It's got goat's cheese all through it. I used Meredith's goat's cheese, which just took it to a whole new level. There is seedy goodness in there. I reckon you could slather it with more goat's cheese or butter when it's warm. It keeps for about a week after you make it. So you can eat it for breakfast the next morning and the next morning after that as well. Oh, that sounds delightful. Uh, My next one, it's a podcast episode from Decodering Podcast. It's titled The Mall is Dead, Long Live the Mall. It was such a random episode, to be honest. It was about how American-style malls are what we would call shopping centres in Australia, how they were formed. They've been around for like 70 years. What blew my mind is they were going into how food courts actually weren't 
a first, you know, staple of them all. They only came decades after malls were established, which caught me by surprise. What surprised me was the most was that they made me care about something I really have zero interest in. It showcased yeah. like the rise, the fall, you know, and the resilience of of American malls. I don't know. It, it is a random one, but if you stick with it, it, it is very interesting. No, I think that's fascinating because like I think about all the movies, especially American movies where like malls are central, right? Um, It's such a meeting place of teenagers as well. And also like they're awful, right? And yet we all go there. I think I want to check that out. Okay, I'm interested. Uh, We're going to do a U-turn, folks. I have one for the parents, but I think more than that, I have one for the non-parents as well. Bluey is an absolute phenomenon. It is a kids TV show, first premiered on ABC Kids a couple of years ago. I think it was in 2018 now. And it absolutely took not just this country but the world by storm. It's all about Bluey Healer and her sister Bingo and their parents and they are all Blue Healer dogs. And the humour is deeply Australian and so absolutely joyful. I want to recommend the newest season to anyone who hasn't seen it. I hadn't actually realised that there were new episodes that had dropped and then I sat down and I binge-watched them with my child and I enjoyed them just as much as he did and a lot of my friends without kids enjoy them too. They are so wholesome. There's so much humour in there that's directed at the adult watching as well as the child and you will honestly just feel a million dollar bucks by the end of every episode. How are the eggs doing, Bingo? Hello! Is Brecky almost ready? It's coming! Okay, birthday boy's getting cranky. Let's get cracking, Bingo. Ha! Get it? Cracking! (laughs) That's it for today's weekend briefing. Thanks so much for being with me, Braun, and thank you to all of you for listening. If you are on the listener app right now, can you make sure you're following us? And that way we will keep jumping into your listener feed. And if you're listening to us on any other podcast app, just make sure you're following, subscribing, whatever it takes to make sure that we keep jumping into your podcast feed so you never miss an episode of The Briefing or indeed The Weekend Briefing. We will be back next week on Monday morning, bright and early, when Tom and the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.